Well, I decided to go with the Spanish title, not to imply that I can speak Spanish. But it just hit me that way. I'm, I'm kind of bad like that sometimes. I thought it'd be interesting. Miagro doble. Anybody a Spanish speaker? Good. It means double miracle. And that's what we're talking about today. We're in Luke chapter 1. We're going to read particular sections in here. So I really invite you to get your Bible. There was too much for me to put on the screen. There's Bibles in the pew. And just turn to Luke chapter 1. You won't have to do a lot of uh, page turning today. We'll all be right there. And we're going to start reading in just a moment in verse 5. But I shared with you recently that God, in my observation and in reading the Scripture, usually works by encouraging one individual to help another individual. That can be in, in providing materials. It can be just in a word of encouragement. It can be in a prayer. But God, more often than not, works through one of us towards another. However, there are occasions through history where God has intervened directly. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at two situations, two occasions where God intervened directly into the lives of two very different women. It was an intervention that changed the world. Certainly, if not most of you, recognize the division of our calendar to B.C. and A.D. Of course, that B.C. stands for before Christ, not before COVID. Before Christ came first. But many think A.D. stands for after death, when it actually is Latin, means Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. When Christ came, that started the year of our Lord. But what we have and there are those, of course, in the academic world and other religion uh, faiths that use B.C. and B.C.E., or the other way, B.C.E. and C.E., excuse me, before Common Era and Common Era, E.R.A., not Error. But we stick to B.C.A.D., and when you think about it, that split our time. That's when a new calendar, a new way of dating started was when Christ came on the scene. So powerful, powerful. God often and maybe usually does not follow what man thinks he should do. God does what he knows he should do and wise men study to learn his ways. Israel's not where any of us maybe would pick for the Son of God to be born and thus so Nazareth. At the time, Israel was uh, dominated by the Romans, but they'd been under constant siege of different countries dominating them. Before the Romans, the Greeks ruled the area. Before the Greeks, the Babylonians. Before the Babylonians, the Assyrians. So the Israelites had been under dominion of another country for hundreds of years. And they were tired of this, of course. And that's one of the reasons why when they thought about the prophecies of the coming Messiah, they were looking for a conquering king to come. And the Bible does speak to that. But there are two comings that the Bible prophesies. The first being the Messiah, the suffering servant, coming to 
atone for the sins of man. And then we're all still looking for that day when Christ returns in the clouds with a trumpet shout and lightning goes from the east to the west and, and he comes to set things straight. That's the conquering king and that's yet to come. But the, understandably, the people in this uh, nation at this time were ready for a conquering king to come set them free from the Roman rule. But that wouldn't be the case right now. Christ came in a stable, laid to rest in a manger, born to unknown and just regular parents. Before Jesus was born, we're introduced to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Our focus today is on the ladies, so we're going to read about Elizabeth. Let's start at verse 5 and read through verse 7 of Luke chapter 1. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Zechariah was a priest, and our story picks up when he's taken his turn, his rotation to serve in the temple, and he's there, and of course Elizabeth is with him. And to focus on Elizabeth, Luke notes that Elizabeth was of the tribe of Aaron. Aaron was the first priest uh, along with Moses. That was one of his roles. Moses' brother Aaron was, and he, he began the priestly nature. So Elizabeth was from a tribe of priests. Elizabeth was upright in the eyes of God, observing all the Lord's commands and regulations blamelessly. And I want to note on that word blamelessly, we tend to think of it as being perfect, without ever making a mistake, without having fault. And that's not Really what the word means or is trying to denote, especially through the Old Testament, blamelessly means they lived their life as dedicated as they could to following the commands and regulations of God. They made mistakes, they were human, they had to grow, but in their heart and their attitude was when they realized they had not kept some commandment, they would ask for forgiveness and repent and and strive to do better. That's living blamelessly. And so they live that way. And so it's not implying that she was perfect or that Zechariah was perfect, but as it was said of David, they had a whole heart for God and they strove to follow God's. That was their desire. That was what they wanted to do. And so we would call them a righteous person. We would call Elizabeth a righteous person. We're also told that Elizabeth was bearing, meaning she could not bear children, and that she was well along in years, meaning that she was past the normal age of childbearing. And so there really was no hope that they would have a child, and I'm sure they had come to grips with that, that they had uh, settled that issue in their mind, realizing that it really wasn't a possibility 
And perhaps that's part of why when Zechariah was told that his wife Elizabeth was going to have a child, he was a little disbelieving. We can understand that. And of course, he was stricken mute. And so we have this where the scripture points for us a wonderful, righteous woman with a loving husband who lived to their best ability to follow God, to do what he said. They were also parents who could not have children beyond that age. And as we read this, it it shares with us that being an obedient follower does not mean you don't endure trouble. That's an understatement, isn't it? We have that. We strive to follow God, but trouble still comes. But what we have is that hope that we have a God empowering us, seeing us through that trouble, who sees ahead of us and is helping us to get to where he'd like us to be, where we want to be, where we should be. So the difference is not that as a Christian or as a follower of God, all the problems go away. They don't. But yet, we have a God who abides with us, empowering, strengthening, teaching. Everyone is subject to the hardships of life. Now let's look at verses 26 through 35. Study a little more on her. This is uh, moving to Mary. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. You know, Mary probably had a little better uh, uh, sense before God that I I have. I I can tend to be a little questioning. And if I were Mary at that time, and I'm a a young girl, and an angel comes and says, you're going to have a child, you're blessed and favored before God. And I might go, thanks a lot. That's what I need, to be unmarried, young, and to have a child. But she listened, and Gabriel assured her that God looked with favor upon her and was going to bless her in a way, at this point, of course, she could not even imagine. The Bible doesn't tell us Mary's age, and we need to understand some of the terminology The word virgin here in the Greek is parthenos, and it really means an unmarried daughter or a young girl who has not known a man. It it doesn't quite mean exactly, but it's implied of what we mean in the term today. We don't really know Mary's age, 
but she was probably scholar's figure between 12 and 16. That was common in those days for a girl of that age to be betrothed to a man. Betrothal is, is different than our being engaged. It's more binding. It is actually a legal contract between two individuals that they are going to marry. And it could be for an extended period of time. And usually the young girl, the bride in this case, to be would have some say in the agreement. But we know that in that culture, in that time, the parents often made arrangements for the marriage. But here we have this betrothal here. And like I said, it was binding. It was as binding as marriage. And it, the only way out of it was a writ of divorce. And when the Bible talks about that, and when Jesus is talking about this situation of this divorce, that's the occasion they're talking about is out of the betrothal. It was allowed in the Jewish culture to break that if there was some impropriety that came known. And that's what Joseph is thinking, and part of Joseph's thought, the Bible records to me, I take that as true, is that he thought it might help protect Mary by uh, not going through with the marriage. But of course the angel came to him and told him to go on through. The betrothal was as binding as marriage, but they didn't cohabitate. There was a later uh, uh, ceremony in the Jewish culture where they would actually uh, seal that, uh, that contract and then the girl would go to live with the man. And they had not gotten to that point yet. So Joseph, in taking on Mary, they were not actually fully married, though they were betrothed. But of course, Joseph did take her, become her husband, and she became the mother of Jesus. The only other thing we're told about Mary is that she was highly favored. Her life was one that honored God, and God respected her and chose her to be the one to bear Jesus. Let's look at verses 36 through 38 now. Even Elizabeth, continuing on, your relative, she was a cousin of Mary, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. One of the things stands out is Mary's servant spirit. It's easy for us reading an account that occurred over 2,000 years ago to not get the full weight. But if you could imagine being a young girl in that culture, very rigid about propriety and, uh, and, and, and a male-dominated uh, society where women could be cast aside, and here she's told she's going to be with child would be a major disgrace in that culture. A major, and it was. Uh, 
just having a child, as you ladies know, the, the event of that and, and you couples know how it changes your whole outlook on life and your activities. Wonderful, challenging, great, wouldn't trade it for the world. But here is this young girl being told this. But what does she do? She says, may it be to me as you have said. She submitted herself. I am the Lord's servant. If that's what you want, God, then I'll accept. I'll be your willing servant. It really gives us a picture into her spirit, into her faith in God, that though this was really a, could be devastating news, was going to be severely life-changing, and, and she would never know as that song that, Sue and I sang last week, Mary, did you know? She had no way to know what this life of Jesus was going to be like, what she was going to endure some 30-some-odd years as he was tried and crucified. Thank goodness she didn't know. How many of us, if we knew ahead of time the trials that we would face, would just fall down and shrivel because we knew we couldn't bear it. But when we get to that point, God enables so we see God's Spirit. Like everything, there's a lot of controversy as far as when Christ was born. I think some people try to keep a job by coming up with different ideas. But using the accounts here in Scripture, we go and starting in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, God sent Gabriel to Mary. I'm paraphrasing. And he tells Mary, his cousin Elizabeth is now six months pregnant. So in the sixth month, she's six months pregnant. That means she became with child in the first month of the Hebrew calendar. And that falls around September, October is in the Hebrew calendar. It's different from our Gregorian calendar, but that's about when Elizabeth would have conceived and of course, three months later, we know nine months is what it takes to, for the gestation period. So she conceived in the first month of the Hebrew calendar, Tishrei, and she gave birth to John in the Hebrew month of Sivan, which corresponds to our months of May and June. Mary conceived in the Hebrew month of Adar, which was February or March, and delivered Jesus nine months later in the month of Keslev, which corresponds to November or December. And so by using this account of what it says and when the Hebrew months were observed, it looks like Jesus was born about this time of year. Now you've heard, I'm sure, as I've heard, that some propose that it was in the spring because the shepherds wouldn't be out with flocks in winter. Those are all conjecture, and everything really is, because the Bible doesn't say, and on blah, blah, month, the day of the month, Jesus was born. It's not crucial. It doesn't matter. It's just something that we are curious about. Regardless of when they were born, both of their births were miraculous. God visited these two women culture cousins. One was barren and past childbearing age, everyone would have written off, and they wrote off, I'm sure, that they could have a child. The other, as the other extreme, a young girl who was betrothed but not married, both women were part of the miracle of birth 
as every birth is, but this is a special miracle due to the circumstances. My mind goes with them and with so many others is who were they before this event? We have a little bit afterwards, although after Elizabeth has John the Baptist, actually just John, we tacked on the Baptist or the baptizer to distinguish him. We don't hear much about Zechariah and Elizabeth. They just go on living their life. And with Mary, we really don't have a whole lot of information. The next account is when they went to the temple when Jesus was 12 and stayed behind and they got worried. And then the next occasion is when Jesus is an adult and we see Mary at the cross enduring that. Joseph, we don't know. He, we assume he was older and passed away before Jesus was crucified. But who were they before? We, we just know that they were righteous people that followed God. And I think the thing that we can understand is they were two ordinary righteous women just going about their life. They were unknown, unremarkable in a sense, and expected just to have a normal life a Hebrew would have in the first century. They weren't... Uh, they weren't pillars necessarily of society. They weren't giants of history. They were just two women making their way through doing the best they can. As we read the Bible, I, I, I do. I, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I can read and I can, and I can see the lives of these giants of Scripture, of Moses and Joshua and David and uh, Nehemiah, and then get into the New Testament with Peter and John the Apostle and the other apostles, and later the Apostle Paul. And I go, wow, I can't live up to that kind. I'm, I'm, I'm not capable of that. And I'm failing is actually a thought because I, I'm just not doing what the Apostle Paul did. And it can be defeating thinking that way. But then kind of the logic of my mind comes through. Imagine in that course of history, even if we just start with Moses. Of course, there were great men, Noah and Abraham, before Moses. Up to this time, or even the time of Jesus, how many millions of people there were who believed God and followed God that we don't know anything about? In other words, these giants of the faith that we, uh, we gain inspiration from and we read their stories are a very minuscule proportion of the people in the Bible. The rest are people like you and me going through the day, doing our best to serve God or, or trying to do our best, failing but getting up saying what we can when we can, being kind as we have opportunity. No one really under, knows or sees. We don't make an issue out of our contributions. It's just trying to be good people, trying to raise our families, trying to serve God. And that's what the people of the day were, and that's what Elizabeth and Mary were, just ordinary people going through an ordinary life serving God and doing the best. And so, uh, in, a, in, in a weird, my logic way, that helped me. God may call 
any of us, to some task. And it behooves us, and we should obey and follow. You know, Abraham was just a guy in the land of Chaldees when he heard God say, get up and move and go somewhere I'm going to show you. You don't know where to go, but I'll, I'll lead the way. And he got up and went, and Sarah went with him. And on and on, God calls upon these people to serve him. They're, they're just people getting through their day when God lays their hand, his hand on them and says, i got a task for you. And it is that God can come to that time. You know, God called my wife's parents to be missionaries to Africa back in the mid-1950s. And I've shared some a couple of weeks ago about that history. It was right after a terrible uprising when the people were revolting against the British uh, Empire there. And not long after that, Betty and Chuck take two little tow-headed girls to Africa to serve God. Took some courage to do that. Not when I was a little boy, didn't go to Africa, but God called my dad into the ministry. He was just a TV repairman. And I remember in his sermons, he would talk about how he could be behind a TV and he'd be in a home. They wouldn't let him in as a preacher. But behind their TV, getting it fixed so they could watch their show, he could talk about anything he wanted to. Whatever you want to say, preacher, just fix my TV. Ordinary people that God calls into the ministry. He probably isn't going to call you to be a missionary, may not call you to be a deacon or a Sunday school teacher, but he's regularly urging, calling each of us to serve him, to say a word of kindness, to, to give some of what he's given us to help others to do what we can, as we can, to serve God. And he calls us today. And that's what I think we can get from these two remarkable women who loved and served God. They rose to the occasion when God said, get up and go, they got up and went. They had this foisted upon them and they did their best. They stood by and they raised their child. Again, I'm sure in the, in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so that's what we are called to today. May we answer as Mary did. May it be to me as you have said. Whatever God says, let us respond. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our precious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word, for the example we get, for the encouragement. I thank you for each one here that are here today to learn about you and to hear from you and to worship you. And Lord, you want to be active in their lives, growing them ever deeper into a relationship with you, helping them to be a blessing to others through their personality, through their skills, through what they have to offer as unique individuals. Father, as we come into this Christmas season, may you help each one of us first receive the present you offer us, the present of salvation through Jesus Christ. If any here have not done that, Lord, I ask that you would urge upon them that today might be the day. Lord, those of us who have received this gift of salvation, 
who now have the hope of eternal life, may today be a day that we dedicate ourselves even more to serving you, to giving ourselves back to you, believing that hard times will come, but you'll see us through, and you could help us be a blessing in someone's life. Father, it is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.